Bobby Joe Show here hanging out with you. And I tell you what, it has been uh, a lot of fun so far tonight talking to first Danny Reed from Georgia Southern. And then we've had on Mr. Andrew Monaco there from uh, Texas A&M. Good to have some Texas representation here on the Robin and Joe Show for sure. We're moving farther west, Joe. Louisiana, <laughs> Texas. And I yeah. just love hearing that different SEC perspective about what's happening in a team I've got my eye on that I think they can shake up the SEC West, um, kind of add some more to the Alabama-LSU-Auburn uh, rig we normally get. So I'm excited to see what they're able to do, and I'm glad we got to hear that perspective. And I think it's what was cool about that, and, and if you go back for our listeners, you can go back when it's dropped on our on the uh, Spotify and iTunes and stuff. Podcast, yep. live, Yeah, when the podcast dropped. If you go back and listen to that, if you missed it, what he touched on with what Jimbo Fisher's done – Texas A&M before was just talking to, hey, we're going to talk to, uh, you know, we're going to talk to uh, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and stuff like that. And now he said, no, if we want to compete against Alabama and we want to compete against Clemson, you got to go recruit the same guys. And that's such a key because Ben alluded to the same thing. You're going to be playing against those guys. And if you're going to have to, you got to go get that same type of talent. Absolutely. It is so good to uh, hear from Andrew Monago there from Texas uh, A&M on the phone. But now we got our friend – we got uh, you got you got to end the show with somebody like this. You got Brooks Austin on the phone with us here, our friend from uh, Dogs Daily and uh, University of Georgia Sports Illustrated cover man here. Brooks, how you doing, brother? Well, I got a baby that's in the bath. I got an upstairs AC unit that's not working, and I got a dog running around like it's chicken with a head cut off. But other than that, <laughs> I'm doing okay. <laughs> well, man, we're sitting here uh, enjoying a, a cold brew and eating some uh, organic Doritos and just got off the phone with Andrew Monaco <laughs> from Texas A&M. Want to so. tra- trade, bro? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tag your rip, brother. You didn't just score a touchdown. You turned around and backpedaled into the end zone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And now we got you here to wrap up the show, my friend. So uh, we appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to be on with us. And uh, Lord knows that if you want a co-pilot there with the baby, uh, we'll be fine with that too. So don't worry about it. But uh, we got a lot to talk about here, Brooks. A little bit of uh, angst this week from friends all around the uh, Bulldog Nation about the quarterback situation, of course. And you throw on top of that, you got Auburn coming into Athens this week. So where do you want to start, my friend? <laughs> I mean, it's your show. I'm just an honored guest. So, I mean, everybody wants to know about the quarterback battle, right? So, I guess we can start there. Yeah, well, I tell you what, I've been, I love watching you on Twitter uh, and following your, your show. And we'll talk about all the places people can find you in just a minute. But uh, I love, love, love your whole uh, perspective on the quarterback situation and what was going on with Dewan and, you know, Bennett and everything like that. It's like, you know what? Give Dewan a break, right? Give the kid a break. It wasn't all his fault. So uh, let's just I mean, share that perspective. Yeah, when, when you have six offensive series to start the football game and you put a redshirt freshman in three or three, three and 12s or third and 12s, I don't, I mean, you guys could try to find me the freshman quarterback that's going to succeed in situations like that over and over and over again. So, but they put him in some bad spots. Um, but, you know, he didn't really help himself out because. He wasn't really making quick decisions. He was holding on to the football. Um, I thought Todd Munkin was trying to take some shots pretty early on in the football game, but they had some issues protecting. I mean, they, it, was, it was all wrong. And sorry <laughs> if I sound like I'm out of breath. I just ran downstairs to grab a uh, charger for my phone. Uh, it's, it's all hell's breaking loose over here in the Austin household. <laughs> uh, but – 
<laughs> no, I, I think that, you know, I, I think they're going to try to give him another shot. Look, here's the deal. If you want to score and beat, you know, score enough to win at Alabama, if you want to score enough to beat him again in the SEC championship game, heck, if you want to score enough at this point to beat Florida down in Jacksonville, you've got to know who has the highest ceiling at the quarterback position. And I think, you know, Stetson Bennett might have the highest floor of them all, but, you know, DeJuan Mathis probably has the highest ceiling with JT Daniels probably, you know, neck and neck when we're talking ceiling. So I think this competition battle really has, or this battle at QB really hasn't even begun. Yeah. Until we fully know how healthy JT Daniels is, this sucker hadn't even started, gentlemen. This is going to be uh, something that they've got to figure out by Alabama, but I think that's their, you know, due date, if you will, on this project of picking a quarterback. There's no question. And then I think there's a little bit of pressure, too. You know, who handles the most pressure? If you're in a tight race with three quarterbacks, you know when you step out there, it's almost like a pitcher that's kind of aiming it. We all know how that goes. He's a walking machine. You know, he might as well be playing pinball and just walking people and giving some coin away. You know, so if you – it's really going to be – a good test of which guy can handle the most pressure because when he gets his opportunity, he's going to really have to excel or else he might not get another chance. We saw that with Jacob Eason. Exactly. You know, go, go down and get hurt, and Jake Fromm, see you later, Jacob. We'll never see you again. Yeah. See, I, I think that if you want to put pressure on these kids, if you want to find out who's going to you know, perform best when the lights are on, I mean, I wrote about it today. Kirby Smart plays about a dozen dudes in the front seven. He rotates three linebackers. Clay Walker was rotating with N'Kobe Dean and Mon Rice on Saturday. He plays about nine defensive backs every Saturday. He played nine offensive linemen on Saturday. Six different wide receivers caught a ball. Five different running backs ran the football. Hell, he rotates every single position, even when he doesn't need to. So, I mean, why not do it at the quarterback position? If you're trying to find, you know, he, he talked about that interior offensive line. He's got a projected second-round top 60 pick in Trey Hill playing center right now, and that dude's about, you know, on edge of losing his job. So if he's going to have this level of competition everywhere, he might as well open it up to the quarterback position, and I think he's doing that finally. I think he learned a lot from those first three, or, you know, let's call it three quarterback battles. The one where I think it was really two. This is his third. The first one with Jacob Beeson and Jake Fromm, I think he learned a lot during that. He gave Eason, you know, kind of closed it off early, gave Eason the start to begin the season, and then, boom, tears a knee up against Appalachian State. The decision was made for him to move on with Jake Fromm from that point forward. The kid takes you to a national championship game. As a freshman, Jacob Eason hits the transfer portal. In comes Justin Fields, and now it's like, oh, crap, here we go again. We got an incumbent at the starter at the quarterback position, and we got this uber-talented kid coming in behind him. Same thing. They they made that decision pretty dang early that Jake Fromm was going to be their starting quarterback, and they were going to trot Justin Fields onto the field every once in a while. I think this year, with how long it's taken him to make this decision, with how long it's taken JT Daniels to get cleared, with COVID being this random bifactor in this entire season, I think he's taking as long as humanly possible to make this decision to make sure he's making the right one. Yeah, and I think he's doing the exact thing he should do. I mean, the only way to really know what you're going to get out of a guy is to get him back there and see the bullets and stuff flying. And Mathis, this past weekend, 
he looked okay on his first drive or two, but then when he started to really look unsettled in the errant pick inside the 20 that was just a complete misthrow, you know, pull the guy out, put another guy in there, let's see – Let's see what he can give us. And then you still have JT Daniels over there who's not eligible yet, and you don't know what he's going to give you in a game. Heck, he didn't even play last year because he, he was hurt at USC and then transfers in. So the quarterback room is really still a question mark at Georgia on what you can get, like you touched on, what is that ceiling going to be? And I think last weekend, I think the dogs left a lot to be desired on the offense in general on what it's going to look like under a Munkin scheme moving forward, I still think there's a lot of boxes and stuff to fill, like you said, rolling in a lot of players and stuff that you'll start to figure out against higher-profile opponents and moving forward. So it, you may disagree with me, but I, I think that there's a lot of question marks still left um, on, on both sides of the ball for Georgia right now, particularly on offense. Yeah, I, th- I think the defense, to me, is questionless. I don't, I don't have any questions about what they're going to do this year. They're going to be just as good, if not better, than next year, barring some type of major injury. I do have to check you on one thing. The the throw from Dewan Mathis, the interception, uh, wasn't his fault. Jermaine Burton, the freshman wide receiver, was supposed to sit down uh, in the zone. It's an RPO system. Against man coverage, you're supposed to run the slant all the way through. Against zone coverage, they were getting quarters. You're supposed to sit it down at the sticks and run a, a quick little hitch. That's what Dewan was expecting. Uh, and if you look at it at the top of the routes, exactly where he threw the football. So Got a it. minor little issue, uh, a miscommunication, but nonetheless, uh, a, a mistake you cannot have uh, in the red zone. But I, I think they were going to make the decision to pull him with or without the pick. If they if they stall out right there uh, and, and just get a field goal, I still think they ultimately go with Stetson Bennett the moment he uh, kind of fumbles that snap and, and ends up taking a sack on, I think it was third and four. And next thing you know, it's a 65-yard field goal. Uh, which would have been about a 52-yard field goal, which we see Podlesny uh, Pod had the ability to hit. So I think that was the, the the changing point right there. But as far as question marks on the offense go, who's going to be that number two wide receiver? We saw Karis Jackson step up Saturday. That was well anticipated from uh, the guys over at Dogs Daily. Um, we saw, I think Jamari Sawyer played really well at left tackle. Inside the other four offensive line positions, I I, I don't know. I thought Warren Erickson played really well. Um, I thought Justin Schaefer played extremely aggressive, which I expected, but it was borderline, you know, reckless at times. Ben Cleveland almost looks out of position for the stuff that they're asking this offensive line to do in the screen game and in the pass game and, and pulling guys and stuff like that. That's not what he's made to do. He's made to stand still and make sure nobody can run through him. Uh, and then the right tackle position, I thought Warren McClendon played really well which makes me wonder what the heck they saw all camp from Owen Condon for him to get the start. They must have seen something. So it's really – there's a whole bunch of questions offensively uh, that they've got to clean up. I also saw some a a bunch of missed assignments. If you watch that film breakdown we did Monday Monday evening, my God, that there was 12 or or 13 missed assignments alone that I picked up just on the TV cut-up. There's no telling – what the coach actually found when he got to the all 22 in the end zone cut, there was probably, I would say almost double that. So it was just a lot of missed assignments, a lot of sloppy football in the first half. And they cleaned a lot of it up in the second half, as you saw. Well, I tell you what, if you were an offensive lineman or an offensive player in general, uh, practice was not enjoyable for you when you came back because you probably had a slew of missed assignments 
um, like you're talking about, and that's never fun when you go back to practice and have to deal with that type of stuff because it's not Heck, fun. And, and that's not to even mention the 11 penalties for 98 yards in the first half. Unacceptable. If, if, if you if, absolutely 100% unacceptable, and if you if you don't think Kirby Smart ran the piss out of them on Monday, <laughs> y'all don't know who that guy is. Yeah, that was that was that was about uh, triple the gassers of what normally would be ran on a regular conditioning scale because that's borderline embarrassing. You're supposed to be a top ranked team, and you come out and you you know you uh, you know pissed the bed 11 times i mean that's embarrassing you know i mean that's not it's not something that that program is known for and it's not something that he will stand for as a coach and you know you speak of the missed assignments um you know i think some fans might not be you know they might be underestimating what it's like to go through a whole new overhaul offensively like you mentioned before when you came on the show this is a lot different than what Georgia was. We're not coming out in two tight ends and we're handing off left and we're handing off right. Like you mentioned, Ben Cleveland's just blocking down. Hey, I got the guy in front of me, man. Let me maul him, you know. We're trying to yeah. run. We're trying to drop. We're trying to get stuff out there. I mean, it's a it's a lot different scheme, you know. I mean, there's there's that element that the players have to adapt to a new play caller. Why, why you got to keep calling out my Stevens County board? My alma mater. Why you gotta keep calling it up, man? We're not. We're not picking out players. I'm just saying. I know I watched him a couple times. Look completely out of place, like Brooks talked about. And I was just like, you know, this is this is not what he was made to do. You know? No, he's he's made he's made to play in that Tennessee Titans type offense where Mm -hmm. we're gonna run lead power. We're gonna run (laughs) stretch zone or you know inside zone plays like that. I got a four eye and I'm gonna maul him. (laughs) Exactly. I've got a I've got a three technique on an island and it's me and him and it's big on big. You know, let's see who's got let's see whose manhood's bigger. That's 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 what Big Cleveland's made for. But man, as far as the complexity of this offense, I thought it was so funny to me. I, I believe first play of the game, they open up basically an empty. The second play of the game, they come out in 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. And by, you know, the fourth play of the game, they've gone into 10 personnel. So, like, just the personnel packages alone for these guys would be a complex system to learn. You add into that that they've really only cracked into about 10% of the playbook, I would imagine, that they've already had to regurgitate, uh, you know, since he's been there in January. And take into all account what they did all this offseason – I would be hard-pressed to find the team that's gone through as many changes as they have offensively, not only their identity, not only their offensive coordinator, not only the quarterback position, the wide receivers, the run, the linebackers, even the running backs, that played well in the first week. Find, find me that team. If, if someone was playing lights out with zero continuity after a condensed offseason, after they're trying to install and, and basically have mental practices through freaking Zoom. Um, <laughs> find, find me the find me the football team that played well in the first half of their football game, and you know we, we can talk then. I mean, at least they didn't do what Alabama or Oklahoma did out there against Kansas State, and they had a tune-up game before that football game. So you know it it's a lot to clean up, but you know they've got time to do it, and they just got to be primed and ready. For Alabama, I'm sure we're going to talk about this weekend, and I'm not overlooking Auburn, but Auburn's another offense, new offensive coordinator, five different, or you know, five new, four new offensive linemen. They lost two of their best, two of the best defensive linemen, I'd say, in the SEC last year. No question. Okay, both those guys are playing in the NFL. They lost two of their leading tacklers and a corner in a first in the first round. So, yeah, they've got some issues too, and I think Saturday is going to come down like this game often does. So who can run the football? That that front seven from Georgia on the defensive side of the football 
just might push Auburn around for four quarters because they're deep enough to do it. Auburn got pushed around by Kentucky last week, and Kentucky's got four guys that can push those dudes around. Georgia's got nine of them. So it, it's going to be hellfire for four quarters for that Auburn front, and I just don't know if they can hold up, which is why I'm so such a proponent of getting all these quarterbacks live reps against a pretty daggum good SEC defense as long as you can handle it. Yeah, no doubt. Leads me right into my next question. That was like throwing it up. Uh, you talk about, you know, the, trying to find the identity, and I completely agree with you with the condensed offseason, new offense, and even people that have had their offenses in for the last 12 years, it don't matter, okay? They ain't nobody looking good these first couple of weeks. Yeah. This look rough, okay? Except I mean, for Mississippi State. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, and, and if Costello throws for 600 I'll Venmo you $100 this week, Brooks Austin, too. I will, hey, I will hey, Venmo man. you. If you throw me your I'll, handle, I'll Venmo you 100 <laughs> if he throws for six I'm, I'm telling you right now. I haven't said this anywhere else. I'm even afraid to do it. But I'm going to say it right now. I saw KJ Costello at the Elite 11. He was one of three camp counselors. It was him, Justin Fields, four, excuse me, him, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Jamie Newton. Big name. When I tell, when I tell you it took us 48 hours to identify who the hell KJ Costello was, <laughs> he, he looked like it was bad. And you know what? We're sitting... We're sitting there telling each other, we're like, we're laughing. We're like, man, I can't, I still can't believe that's KJ Costello. And my buddy John Garcia looks at me and goes, and I still bet Mike Leach's butt will throw for 4,000 yards with him. <laughs> and by God, and by God, he has. If that dude can throw for 641 yards in the SEC, Line me up to play for Mike Leach, because I guarantee you I can go for a 350. <laughs> you, you at least going to get three bills if Leach is your coach. I don't know. He, that's unbelievable performance. But, I mean, if he can keep that output, I, I don't see it. But he's definitely surprised LSU for sure. But going to Georgia, rolling into this weekend against Auburn, you know, I thought that Georgia, you know, they're trying to, you know, test the offense out and stuff. But we give our listeners an idea, and you may not even completely know, but what is the identity of the Munkin scheme? Does does he want to run? What's his balance versus run pass? And what's the keys against Auburn? You think they're going to they're gonna take the most place to kind of settle in, in their place um, to have a more efficient offense for Georgia? So I, I think I saw enough Saturday to kind of identify what his identity wants to be. Look. They ran 89 plays on Saturday. I, I, I said on Twitter, I don't have to look up the football reference over the last five years to let you know that's the most plays ever ran under Kirby Smart 100%. since he's been at Georgia. Yes. So that that's first thing. They want to get a lot of reps in. They want to play fast. If you went back and watched the tape, they were snapping the ball with plus 20 seconds on the play clock. So they're really only letting you know, 15, 20 seconds roll before they're snapping the ball. That's never happened at Georgia. So they want to play fast, get a lot of reps in. He threw the ball 59.5% of the time on Saturday. I don't think that's what he wants to do. I think he wants to be about 55-45 pass to run. Now, it, it typically under Kirby Smart, he's been run heavy 58% of the time in his four years as a head coach. So it's a total new identity as far as the offensive, you know, will and what they want to do. I also figured out a little bit about him, what he, what he intends to do in the red zone. If you guys remember that touchdown to John Fitzpatrick, that's in, that's on first and goal from the 10-yard line. I, I said it on our video breakdown and our film breakdown. I guarantee you, uh, you, you can, I'll Venmo you guys $100 if you disagree with this. <laughs> the last four years under Kirby Smart, I don't care who the offensive coordinator was, Chaney or Coley, 
if it was first and goal at the nine yard line, run. I can guarantee you what was going to happen. Yeah. It was going to be run, run on first down, run, run. run on second down, try to throw a fade, bring on hot rod for the punt or for the field goal. <laughs> that that was the mo of Georgia's offense for the last four years. Guaranteed. Monkton gets into the red zone at the first time with Stetson Bennett, and he throws the ball on first first down and uh, inside the the ten yard line. That to me showed me everything I need to know. Those three things. They want to play fast. They want to get a lot of reps in. They want to be explosive. They want to take deep shots. If you saw what they were doing with Dwan Mathis, they want to drive the ball down the field. And when they get in the red zone, they're going to be analytics-based. All these modern play callers, they are all about first down passes inside the red zone. If you haven't seen it, flip on the flip on football on Sundays and watch those guys in the red zone. They're a play action on first down inside the goal line almost every single time because they want to throw the ball through there and stop the clock and it almost kind of hurts me a little bit i'm like you know what man i mean like you know just let's i think second down is you know third down's obvious if if we've ran it and we've hit the brick wall you know it's like oh man we we really aren't getting to west berlin or east berlin you know it's like all right we got to throw on third down you know we're kind of screwed they know what we're doing but it's like first down and nine you're right. If you turn on the TV on Sundays, these guys throw it three times. We'll go empty on the two, man. I mean, like we're we're five receivers on the two yard line and on Sundays. I mean, we're like screw. It. Yeah, it's like I mean, we, we yeah, it's like hey, man, good luck. Uh, I hope y'all are in. Uh, I hope you're in. You know, dollar or dime on the goal line because we got five receivers. What y'all gonna do about it? You know, and especially with Georgia. It can be spun both ways. I'm a traditional run-heavy guy. You put it on the ground, run that guy over. It made me throw up in my mouth when the Seahawks didn't hand it to Marshawn Lynch. But, you know, you throw it – you got all those receivers and athletes that Georgia has on it, it like empty on the two. I mean, man, that's that's really tough for a defense to defend. I mean, you're sweating bullets. The quarterback can drop back and see nothing, pull it down and get two yards. I mean, it really opens up a lot of, a lot of, a lot of worms for a defense to try to have to cover up. Absolutely. It's a, uh, it's definitely a new age. Um, we'll find out what, what the like full creativity of him is going to be uh, moving forward. I don't think he, I think he's going to like give hints and hints about what he really wants to be, but come week four, you're really going to see them ramp up uh, there against Alabama. And they, they're going to, I really think for the first time that game in Gainesville in a while goes like 45, 42. Or like, I, it might, it, it just might be a shootout down there in Jacksonville. And I know how great this this defense is, but something tells me Florida's going to be pretty daggum good this year. Dan yeah. Mullen, Dan Mullen is a pretty daggum good offensive coordinator, and this is by far the most talent he's ever had on the offensive side of the football as a head coach. Look, I know in his first run at Florida, they had all kinds of athletes, and then he went to Mississippi State as a head coach. And they put up points all throughout them years. If y'all remember them Dak Prescott days, they were putting up 35, 36 points a game. So I I, I really do think they've got a a quarterback that's extremely comfortable. I I heard a statistic on on ESPN earlier today. He ran the same play 10 times on Saturday. He made five different reads on those 10 plays. He threw it to five different wide receivers on the same exact play play which just tells me how tuned in this guy is in in his reads and in his keys and just how comfortable he is in the pocket which is scary uh if you're a defense oh yeah well uh, i'll tell you what brooks we got about uh three minutes here left my friend so why don't you go ahead and give us your pick 
Uh, who's going to be the the first guy taking a snap against Auburn on Saturday for the dogs? <laughs> it, it, it's going to be Stetson Bennett, I believe. And then after that, if he gets in trouble, um, you, I, I don't know who's going to run onto the field. I still don't know <laughs> if they believe. I still don't know if they fully believe JT Daniels is healthy, um, like ready to go, like ready to get hit. But maybe they won't know until they actually throw him in there into, in, in, into the wolves. But, yeah. you know, we're just going to have to see. But I do think Stetson Bennett gets the start, uh, you know, and if he plays well, he'll he'll play their full game, I would imagine. And if they get up, they'll probably mix Dewan in. But I'd be, I'd be a proponent of giving each guy two series. G- give Stetson two, give Dewan two, give JT two. Keep rotating, uh, see if it works for you, and ride the hot hand all the way through. That's what I would do, gentlemen. And ultimately, somebody's going to come to the top, especially in a game like, uh, you know, you're playing Auburn. Uh, that's a that's a big matchup for, for Georgia, um, COVID or not. That's a big game. Yeah. So, you you know, you come into Saturday. Which guy's going to kind of rise to the, you know, rise to the top when you have a big opponent? And I think they'll really reveal itself. We saw that, like I said, with, with uh, Fromm and Easton. You could tell there was just some type of glamour there when well, Fromm got in the game. You know, I'll share this with you, uh, Brooks, because I, I don't think you probably got to listen to the segment before. But your point right there, Ben, uh, we had Andrew Monaco on from uh, – from Texas A&M, as I said, Brooks, before we had you on. And one of the things he mentioned about Jimbo Fisher stuck with me there. And he said, you're going to figure out who the guys are. You can't rise to the occasion. you got to revert to Habit. your habits. So we're going to see who the guys are that, that come out and play the best and get to get to claim that starting role, I think. So. Man, that's like that's like Hall of Fame gold jacket coach me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like that, man. I thought you'd that like is, that. That is 100% nonsense. If my, coach said, if my coach said that to me, I would just be like, Okay, coach. Appreciate it. <laughs> what, what what handbook of quotes did, did, did you, you read? Find that out, out did you of? find Jesus. that on pa- Did you find that on page seventy seven of uh, Almanac number two? <laughs> oh, <laughs> where you found that? Where's Jeff Cameron when we need him? He'll, he'd, he'd tell us what he thought about that. All right, well, Brooks, we appreciate you joining us, man. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your good works each and every week? Yeah, you can find me on social media. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Brooks Austin SI. Um, you can read all of our stuff over there on dogsdaily.com. Uh, and, and if you're into football, like really into football, or if you're not, if you're just trying to learn about football, I also run a pretty, I think, pretty good YouTube page where I make re- a really, really complex game that is football and try to make it really, really simple for the average fan. And for you football nuts that are there too, you'll probably learn something as well. So just search Brooks Austin SI over on YouTube and that'll pop up there as well, gentlemen. All right, well, Brooks, we certainly do love having you on the show here. You are a staple with us, friend, and uh, as much as my techie brothers across the table here uh, can stand it, we do love hearing some uh, some Brooks Austin. Last, <laughs> last time I last time I was here, I was buying all the Jeff Collins stock. I, I might be short in that Hey, me and you both. <laughs> prospecting, prospecting, Brooks. Prospecting. Short, short. Yeesh. <laughs> Thanks, Brooks. Hey, don't let the baby drown. <laughs> oh, we'll see you guys. See you, man. All right, man. Brooks Austin there from uh, SIDogsDaily.com. Check him out when you find all his good works. That's going to do it for us, guys. A pretty good show. Andrew Monaco, uh, Danny Reed, and Brooks Austin there from the University of Georgia on the Rob Ben and Joe Show. We'll see you next week. Go dogs. No go jackets? Jackets are off this week. Okay. We can We're going to win, Joe. We're going to win, and we're going to win big. <laughs> I believe it. Oh, me. No one wins a bye week like Jeff Collins. <laughs> That's good stuff.
show. You're listening to the Rob, yeah, Ben, and Joe show. Download the show today on your Spotify playlist or Apple Music. <laughs> 